Welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Sam Slater and today I've been joined by Richard Sennett, manager of the Schroeder Asian Income Fund. Hi, Richard. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Um, Perhaps you can start by telling us how Asian dividends are holding up at the moment. I believe the reporting season's nearly over, so we've perhaps got a better idea. Um, And perhaps tell us whether there are any particular countries or sectors that have been doing better than others. Um, okay, yeah. Um, let me give you um, perhaps a bit of colour on what's been happening um, to Asian dividends this year. Um, I think, you know, certainly after what you were saying about the sort of reporting season completing, um, I think it was perhaps surprising that um, during the recent results season, actually how few companies um, use the current crisis to actually cut their dividends. Um, now, this may have been driven by a motivation to to either move cash upwards um, in the cases of sort of state-owned enterprises or, or, or SOEs, um, or indeed in family-controlled entities. But um, I think the key thing to uh, recognise for Asia um, is that where actually Asian companies came into this crisis compared to some other regions of the world. So, for instance, if you look at um, if you look at payout ratios, uh, the payout ratio in Asia prior to the crisis was around about uh, forty to fifty percent on average, and that compares with the UK at around about sixty to seventy percent. Um, so lower, um, uh, lower than that of other markets. They're also less geared from a leverage perspective, and. Um, and so, with net gearing well below that of uh, of most other regions, um, what it has meant is that when profits have come under pressure because things have started to slow down, there's been a, a less of an immediate um, need uh, to, to make wholesale cuts to dividends um, that perhaps we've seen in other markets. I also think that in places like um, the UK, I think perhaps some companies have, have perhaps used the crisis as a way to reset their dividend policies down to, to more sustainable levels. Um, anyway, all this, I think, has helped Asia in a relative sense versus other markets when it comes to, to dividends. Um one thing I perhaps I should add is that um, Asia also looks to have suffered less than other regions when it comes to having dividends uh, cancelled um, or, or curtailed due to regulatory pressure. Um, and I think the obvious example that we think about when we think of that is the banks um, where um, we didn't see the same pressure to cut that wholesale in places like Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, partly, I think this is down to the banks being extremely well capitalized. So they've got sort of core equity tier one ratios in their mid-teens in many cases. Um, however, it's fair to say it's not the same across the region in the sense that it hasn't been totally consistent in that sense. Um, and if you look at markets like New Zealand and Australia, there have been uh, a bit more pressure from the regulator to um, to to put to curtail dividends, and indeed that's what we saw during the interim reporting season in Australia, where the banks there either cut or or passed on their interim dividends. Um, and I think in Australia's case, it's um, 
it's fair to say that the payout ratio in that market is more comparable to that of, say, the UK. So it is it is a higher higher level, and therefore, ultimately, I think there was perhaps a bit of bit of extra risk, if you like, from a um, from a starting position uh, as there were, was perhaps in in some other non Asian markets. Um, uh, as far as what we're seeing in different countries or sectors. Um, there is some variance, uh, as you'd expect. Um, a number of the REIT names have seen cuts um, in their distributions, um, for instance, such as in Singapore, and their rents were hit um, really particularly in the retail sector, as you could imagine, due to the, the lockdown there or the circuit breaker, as they called it, um, has, has, has meant that profits have clearly been under pressure. And in a similar vein, gaming stocks in Macau also cut, which given that travel was effectively stopped for much of the uh, first half in uh, China, again, shouldn't come as a, as a complete surprise. Um, uh, however, on the, on the flip side, I think positively, there have been a number of companies, particularly in sort of Hong Kong, China, um, in, the, in, in property and, and the banking names that have either held or increased their dividends. And also amongst some of the tech names, this has also been a trend. So they've been pretty good with a number of names in Taiwan, for instance, either maintaining or, or, or increasing dividends. And are there any areas that worry you particularly? I mean, some people have suggested that dividends have held up better at the moment because it's based on last year's profits, whereas obviously next year could be based on this year's profits. So is there any sort of area that you think might struggle next year? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think there's um, clearly um, one of the the things which is very difficult to sort of get a, a, a feel for at this stage in the outlook for dividends is the sort of, if you like, the duration of, of the crisis that's that's occurred in that, you know, whether we see a sort of a second wave coming out of um, either globally or regionally from a, from a COVID perspective, and that could ultimately impact earnings for a, for a longer period than um, I think people are expecting at the moment, and and it, there's no doubt that ultimately, you know, earnings lead dividends, and one would expect dividend and earnings growth to be correlated in the medium to, to long term. Um, However, I would say, all that said, um, when you go back and you look at other periods of stress for, for Asia, such as in the global financial crisis, um, the companies in Asia tried during that period to maintain their dividends um, in spite of the fact that earnings were coming under pressure. And so, in effect, they allowed their payout ratio to rise um, to substantially during that period to compensate for that falling in profitability. Um, Earnings during that period obviously subsequently recovered and, and, and companies grew back into their sort of, if you like, their historic payout ratios. This could happen again, but um, if, you, if you remember back to 08, um, 09, actually from a sort of, certainly from an Asian perspective, it was a relatively short and sharp recession. Um, and... Um, uh, and at the moment, what we don't have, if you like, is is clarity on that sort of second wave that I mentioned. And you know, we all sort of know that sort of alphabet soup of recoveries that we could get coming through. And until we get better clarity on that, uh, is it you know that there is clearly going to be some risk to to dividends. Um, 
if you look at sort of consensus, um, currently consensus has dividends falling around about 15% this year. Um, but I think, you know, what will be key and we should get a bit more clarity about where dividends are going um, would be around the sort of um, announcements, you know, the results announcement that we get coming out in, in sort of August. Um, I think the final point I would say on this would be that um, although we are likely to see uh, dividend uh, cuts in aggregate, that um, actually dividends still look pretty attractive versus long bond yields and so on. And, and in fact, they're close to sort of highs um, on that measure, which in my view means that the market is already factoring in, if you like, uh, cuts to dividends. And even if you were to see those dividends cuts coming through, actually, um, the, the yields would still look pretty attractive versus bonds. Uh, and as we all know, that you don't get much yield on a or a yield out of bank accounts these days. So, so I think on that basis, I think um, income from equity markets could actually look increasingly attractive. Thank you. And moving away from dividends just for a moment, um, we've obviously got the US election coming up and both parties at the moment are actually quite anti-China. What are sort of the threats and opportunities for wider Asia, depending on the outcome of the US election? Yeah, um, I guess that geopolitics has been a sort of uh, a major feature of sort of investing in, in in Asia over the last couple of years, um, and obviously in the run in pre COVID, if you like, we were all talking about sort of uh, trade deals and whether we would get them or we wouldn't get them, and um, I don't think anything has has really changed on that front. Um, as you say, sort of, we've got an election coming up later in the US uh, 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 this year, and um, both parties are pretty um, united for once on one thing, and that is a sort of uh, a distrust of, of China. And and in that sense, I think that um, we are continued to see here. Uh, we're likely to continue to hear more and more noise um, with regard to sort of uh, China sentiment. Um, still, given that, I mean, economic growth um, is clearly. Um, a very important factor to both the US, um, certainly for, for Trump, he's sort of based his, his um, much of his presidency on, on making America great again. And he doesn't want that to sort of fall off the cliff. And equally, China's obviously wants to make sure that it continues, continues to grow. And therefore, I think that um, they are, you know, the, the phase one deal that we saw uh, signed sort of at the end of last year, um, I, I think probably w will continue to stand. Um, but I think one of the areas of uh, that we're going to remain sort of um, where tensions are going to remain high is going to be around um, technology and protection of IP, given China's desire to, if you like, to be number one uh, in a lot of those high-tech areas. And you can see that through the sort of China 2025 program. Um, currently, one of the, the big Biggest battlegrounds is obviously 5G. Uh, we know that about sort of um, from whether we're going to allow Huawei in the UK to, to sort of build out those networks. Um, it's obviously there's a lot of benefits to 5G. 5G. There's a lot of associated spin-offs, the Internet of Things, and all, all, all and so on. Um, and 
Huawei, which of course is the vendor to, to a lot for a lot of these products, um, has has been the focus, if you like, of the US with yet more restrictions uh, on companies being able to supply into them. All this, unfortunately, I think longer term means, in my view, that we are likely to see an increased bifurcation of the supply chain uh, between Asia uh, and the, the US. Um, but I, I think that's not necessarily negative for, for Asian tech companies uh, from Korea and Taiwan, um, as they actually supply into both chains. And, and ultimately, someone will have to produce this kit who the American companies um, will, or sorry, not the American, the Asian companies will end up uh, supplying to and leading on from that i suppose that you almost answered my question already but perhaps in a little bit more detail one of your largest sector weightings in the fund is technology um, so obviously you think the the opportunities outweigh any of the potential threats from uh the u.s issues at the moment what kind of technology companies are you invested in yeah. Um, so on tech companies, um, as you rightly pointed out, I, 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 do, I do like a, a number of, 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 of those names. I am overweight. Uh, and this is in particular in the hardware na- names. Uh, and I like, their, their, I like their market positioning and attractive income properties. Um, I, and just to be clear, I suppose what I, I'm not in, in invested in within my income fund is um, is the Chinese internet names as as these companies rather like their Western counterparts um, either don't pay a dividend or a day minimus one and this is unlikely to change anytime soon. Um, However, that's not true of the IT manufacturers that I own. And they are principally, as I sort of alluded to earlier, you know, principally based in, in, in Taiwan and Korea. Korea uh, and they are the, really the beneficiaries, I think, of a, of a couple of interrelated themes, um, such as the increased long-term use of, of the internet, um, w- which is obviously seeing a continual build-out of data centers by the hyperscalers as more and more um, uh, data is crunched online, things shift online and data shifts into the cloud. Um, also, they benefit from um, the increase in demand for, for communication products driven by this whole shift to 5G and the internet of things. Um, and and key is that they they tend to occupy leading positions in the areas that they operate so such as foundry so the manufacturer of, of, of semiconductor chips for others and memory um, they also from a balance sheet perspective they're attractive they've got strong balance sheets they're very cash generative and I think you know what's been encouraging in this area is that um, many of them already had very good Corporate governance, but a lot, uh, a lot of others are starting to get see that corporate governance improve, and and uh, those attractive payout policies, which um, ultimately mean that I remain overweight there. The other area that you're overweight, overweight is uh, real estate. Why is that? Yeah, real estate sort of uh, the opposite. Uh, I suppose, as you say, a slightly different type of company. Um, I like I, I like real estate um, uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, the thing about um, uh, the real estate that I like is mainly within the investment property. Um, names so in the likes of, of Hong Kong and China, these are these are companies which trade at um, substantial discounts to their NOV, but are exposed still to very much to the ongoing growth of China, and um, 
they, 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 through that ongoing growth in, in investment properties, in, in office and retail, they will uh, continue to see over time their recurring incomes grow. And at the moment, um, relatively, uh, there's relatively little of that is, is paid out in dividends. And I think over time, as that recurring income grows, I think that we'll increasingly uh, see that, that, uh, that higher levels of recurring income will be paid out to shareholders uh, via dividends over time. So, so I like those companies for that reason. That's great. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to find out more about the Schroeder Asian Income Fund, please go to fundcaliber.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please note that these are unprecedented times and markets can react very quickly to news. The views expressed are at the time of recording and could change. Please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of your listening. 